That's quite an interesting one to start today's chat with Steve Vines with. How are you? Is that a hint? Because I'm out. No, no, I'm out. I can only assume that in the news this week, some devious scientist has come up with a really potent new brand of E, and it's doing the rounds at Whitehall. Yes, yes. You're talking about the golden era, aren't you? I am. This is the golden era in relations between the People's Republic of China and um, Great Britain. Great Britain? Yes. What, what used to be known as Great Britain, but I, I, I'm now reliably... You mean the scourge of a million years, colonial yes. running dogs oppression. thingy? Oppression is the word you're groping for there. That's the one, yeah. Yes, I'm just wondering about that. I mean, you know, when they say roll out the red carpet, I think most people understand <laughs> it to be a fairly limited piece of furniture. The Brits seem to have understood it as, I'll tell you what, We'll, make, we'll, we'll, we'll put a few bars of that on the clock. They and, put and a few a... bars of the Chinese national anthem blaring all down Whitehall as well. Absolutely. Well, that's fair enough. It's part of the furniture for these state visits. I tell you what, Jack Edwards would be going apoplectic <laughs> in his grave right now, wouldn't he? <laughs> but, I mean, uh, honestly, I, I mean, Britain's policy now, and, and if I may summarise it as a non-diplomat, or indeed even <laughs> someone who doesn't know about these things, is... Um, um, when you say kneel, how how low do you wish us to kneel? Because um, it seems that bye 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 in the new Get in the new era of the new golden era. I must keep remembering to call it a golden era of relations between Britain and China. Um, it seems to work on a sort of one way street. <coughs> you tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Uh, want to invest in our nuclear industry? Go ahead. Uh, want us not to mention anything you don't like? We won't mention it. Um, want tick. us to tick, etc., etc. And there was a great comment about the um, speech that Xi Jinping gave to to the House of Commons by uh, an anonymous diplomat who said, "Oh, oh, I, I thought the speech was was absolutely perfect. There was no content in it whatsoever." <laughs> It's a bit like something out of Yes, Minister. Minister, can I advise you that if you're speaking in the House of Parliament, do not disturb anybody because lots of members like to go there for a quick nap. Yeah, this is, this is one of those things you... I think people of a certain age would say, what? Well, what? And then there's the premise. <laughs> then there's the premise that somehow, that if Britain just, just reads the, you know, the Chinese song, song sheet... Um, as done by his wife. As done by, by <laughs> Ms. Ms. Peng. Um, you, will, you, you, will, you will get these enormous economic benefits. Well, let's just run through that. Um, when Britain was um, in the doghouse with the Chinese because the Prime Minister had the temerity to meet the Dalai Lama, this is three years ago. <laughs> Bye-bye to that one. <laughs> well, but what actually happened? Trade increased the following year between mm. Britain and China. So my point is this, and it's the, the has always been the supposed to have been the standard point of British and most diplomatic law, is that countries have no permanent friends and no permanent enemies, but they do have permanent interests, and this is this is the real reality, and it's been the reality since that very famous maxim was introduced a century ago, mm. was, is that you know China has always wanted. Not always, but in recent years, has wanted to be a player in the international um, nuclear electricity generation game. So you know, all that Britain had to do was open the door, because most countries won't open the door to it. Most countries say, "No, you're not. You're not playing nuclear generation on my patch. You go and do that in your own country." But the Brits have decided, and now they say, "Look, 
all these jobs. Well, well in fairness, what, the Tory government has decided. Well, the Tory government has decided. But whatever, whatever. Whoever um, happened to be the government, when China replied, they would have moved, you know, Earth and all the rest of it. And then they say, oh, well, you know, when we come to... When we, when we as a, a great power most populous nation in the world, in case anybody's forgotten that particular form of words which has been re- re- repeated ad nauseum. When we arrive, we don't like to talk to you about anything that... We don't um, want touches on the, the nature of the dictatorship. So the fact of the matter is that the healthy dialogue between nations involves an exchange of views. Mm. One of those is to uphold the values of your own nation. Now, Britain is... I suppose still. I mean, it was last time I checked a democracy. It has a pretty good record, not not perfect, but a pretty good record for upholding human rights. And I think this may have been one of the reasons why the, one of the few people in this whole galaxy of of, of kowtowing were, um, who who wanted to to make indirect references to this was the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, who in introducing Xi Jinping pointedly referred to a pending visit by the leader of Asia's greatest democracy, uh, by which he meant India, and said so. And when he mentioned other Asian leaders who had um, addressed the House of Commons, the one he actually singled out, in fact, the only one he mentioned was Aung San Suu Kyi, who, of course, is a fighter against dictatorships. So everybody understood that message very clearly and very loudly. And as the Speaker of a democratic parliament, I think John Burko was quite right. I mean, he didn't need to be crude and say, you, Mr. Xi, actually are the leader of a dictatorship. But the message was, was given received and probably completely ignored by the Chinese leadership. But oh, of course. part of this is that countries are always talking to two audiences at least. Mm. One is the domestic audience. People in Britain shouldn't be told that there's something inferior about a system that that is based on democracy. Mm. Many people feel rather strongly about this. So when Speaker Burko talks and upholds the values of the House of Commons, which he he is the titular representative of, I think people appreciate that. What they don't appreciate... Although, who knows in this bizarre world that we live in, what they don't appreciate is that the Prime Minister of Britain doesn't seem very interested in in, in upholding the values which are the cornerstone of the country in which he is the elected leader. That's, I think, a little disappointing. This is like... I put that mildly. One of the most, not radical, but biggest things this guy has done and it, and, it, and immediately puts a few more grist in uh, in Jeremy Corbyn's mill but the interesting thing is we're getting closer to the great novel that I don't believe anybody's ever written yet exchanging gifts and this that and the other private audience queen prime minister and she da da so um do you want hong kong back <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that came up. Get them off my I, back. I, I, have it, have it. Today yeah, and today only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've even had to put that, that little, what's his name, Donald in, 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 in clink. Oh, we may well be doing that. Oh, well, yeah. well, see, that's actually gone dead quiet, hasn't well, it? Well, that has gone quiet. Well, that, I think, is, to be fair, because the um, the trial hasn't started. I'm sure we'll yeah, be hearing on, more of that. Yeah, but come on, scurrilousness. Next month. Needs work. Let's go to an space. email from Steve. Steve. 
excellent, excellent name, if I he may say so. He says, very simply, what I think a lot of people are thinking. Uh, he says, and another thing, not trying to be a great patriot or anything, but can't Britain build its own bloody trains anymore? And who the heck would want the PRC building and managing nuclear power stations in their backyard? Well, I, I think the he makes a perfectly reasonable point that I think on, on the particular issue of this power station is this is China putting its toe in the door, I, as far as I understand Money-wise. It, no, no, no. As far as I understand it, it'll be the odious French. I was going to say, the French are yeah. building it, the yeah, Chinese and, are paying and, for and, it. And they're paying for it, or at least paying for part of it. And um, um, British consumers have already been told that, it, um, thank you very much, and the electricity prices will rise. I think you might see a bit of backlash when that happens. But I thought the deal with nuclear power, etc., is safe, safe and cheap. That yeah. was that's the mantra. But apparently, not safe and cheap when you're building. I mean, one one of the problems is that they're building this. This is Hinkley Point. Mm. They're building. They're obsessed. So it's not just the Hong Kong government that's obsessed with big projects. The British government too is obsessed. With, instead of um, regionalising nuclear power generation a bit more. Which admittedly is different, difficult because most places don't want a nuclear reactor on on their doorstep. But you know, a lot of difficult things have to be done. But but this is a great, great big power generating system. Oh yeah, not for 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 nationwide distribution. So you know, and as we have seen, when things go wrong in power stations, the consequences are very ugly. And of course, the bigger the power station, the bigger the Consequences. I don't think this is me making something up. We we kind of know this. Fukushima no. may be an example of where that has been proven to be a bit of a problem. Just bring in something. Turn back the clock a couple of months or whenever it was. Significance of those British officials not being given entry to Hong Kong? Well, they, they were parliamentarians. Excuse yes, me, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, indeed. I mean, again, you know, um, in the new... Um, how can I put it, in the new order of British-Chinese relations, when something like that happens, you don't even get from the British government any kind of vigorous response. And that's extraordinary. This was a parliamentary committee of inquiry acting, among other things, under the terms Mm. of the joint declaration. Now, the joint declaration, you you may not like it if if you're one of the flag wavers, but the fact of the matter is the joint declaration... <clears throat> is is a treaty registered at the United Nations, so it has quite a lot of standing. And part of it says that Britain will continue to monitor the progress of Hong Kong in the interim period. That's the 50 years while one country, two systems is still in operation. So you've actually got a treaty obligation to do this. And when the Chinese say, we don't want you interfering in our affairs, what they're saying is, we don't want you upholding a treaty that both sides have signed. That's the blunt reality of that. And it's shameful that the British government doesn't uphold its end of the of the deal. Yeah, I'm glad you said it that way, because back to Occupy, you remember lots of um, um, outrage here that the Brits had been spineless about it. Well, obviously, we didn't know then that this was in the offing, did we? No, no. Although there were some vinaigrettes of that visit that I, 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 I can't help but have enjoyed. I like the fact that Xi Jinping and Prince Charles went for tea at, Man- at the Mandarin Oriental, because... <clears throat> Who owns the Mandarin Oriental? Well, that's right. It's the wicked Jardine Matheson group. The, the, the <laughs> opium peddlers who, who, who established their fortune 
<clears throat> in Hong Kong all those years ago and, and turned it into that place of uh, imperial squalor and disgust. Mm. So I quite like the fact that they had a cup of tea there. But he's Prince Charles has come out of this looking quite good. People have pointed out that he was he's too been, busy to go to the state dinner. He's been noticeably absent on all this. Yeah, yeah. But at well, least he's got the you know he, well, he does stand up for what he believes he, in. He does seem to be. Um, he also. He's barking mad. <laughs> not saying that. But, I mean, he, he, he also seems to be um, quite chummy with the Dalai Lama, which is a red line that the Chinese do not want to cross. Yeah, but he doesn't prostitute his, you know... No. He, he, he's, he believes in what he believes in, and that's that. Yeah. Huh? The, the other this thing... is the next king of England. It, well, well, he should be, in, in terms of... I don't think she's going to let him know somehow. <laughs> I talk well, to the trees. Uh, her Madge is, is coming up to 90, so, you know, she ain't going to last forever. But yeah. um, um, somebody's going to have to take over the throne, and and he's next in line. So I think I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a fair well it was a bad bet to put money on Prince Charles. Dave has either totally blown it with the British public, or he's just struck a stroke of genius. Either at the moment though, I think it's the. People think it's the former. Where does this leave Jeremy Corbyn, the curmudgeonly old bagman? That's very interesting. I mean, he he is the only leader of. of a British political party, and, and remember, he's, he's leader of Her Majesty's opposition, who said, well, you know, if President Xi Jinping is in England, I do want to talk to him about the human rights situation in China. Now, this is always portrayed, particularly in the poodle press here, as Britain lecturing the, the, the Chinese on human rights. It's not a question of lecturing, it's a dialogue. Democratic nations have an obligation to talk about oppression, I think. I think it should be the case. And the idea that there's this peculiar dichotomy, you either talk about human rights or you have trade, this is just rubbish. <coughs> because where it's in the national interest for China to have trade with Britain, it will have it. Do they want to talk about human rights? No, of course they don't. So if they can turn that whole dialogue and make it into... Uh, um, uh, or sort of portray it as being, oh, they're lecturing us and we don't need to be lectured. Well, well of course people You haven't say said internal affairs like yet. Meddling in the, internal affairs. in the internal affairs of the Chinese state. Yes, I know, it's appalling and, and we, we, we deplore it. The fact of the matter is all countries meddle in each other's internal affairs. Do. I mean, you know, this is, this is part of the horlicks that you hear regularly... Um, um, Disgust. You hear it regularly, every time. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you one Possibly thing daily. One thing that came up, and of course we had the usual, and the streets are lined with throngs of Chinese supporters. Cheering, cheering. And, and then this, cheering be, this BBC supporter goes round the bases, come with me, and there's boxes of all this junk that's been flags and caps, that's all the usual stuff. Yeah. Rent yeah. a crowd. Now, I'm assuming the people there don't quite realise that this is de rigueur, this is the norm. Yes. You know, ring them yes. up, turn up. Well, these are... As I understand it, the, the mass cheering crowds were mainly mainland students who have obligations. Yeah, exactly that. Some of that. whom are in Britain on, on state scholarships. And uh, if the party secretary of their universities says turn up, they... Um... Of a wimp. Still in with Steve Vines. Right, let's go, <laughs> let's go to an email here. This... Uh, lawyer! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, because I want to test this here. This is from uh, Saikung Resident. Ah, uh, he says, a friend of mine and the rest of the villages of Namsan have had the only road to the village blockaded by the resident who apparently owns the land at the entrance to the village. Villagers called the police, who obviously had to respond to the complaint, who said on arrival, no, nothing we can do here, and they walked off. 
despite this guy restricting the access of emergency services, I thought that the government owned all land in Hong Kong and properties only leased. Do you happen to know what the law is regarding this unbelievable situation? He says, I remember hearing something similar in the outskirts of Taipo a while back. Well, what he heard similar in the outskirts of Taipo was a very tragic um, event in which some children lost their lives oh, because gosh, of the yeah. black blocking of emergency vehicles in a village. Now, the legal position here is, um, this is a big issue, actually, and he's quite right to raise it. The legal issue here is very complex indeed. Of course, it is true the government does own all land in Hong Kong, but they don't own land that's been... Well, sorry, they don't own all land in Hong Kong. There are a couple of exceptions. Yeah. But basically speaking, all land in Hong Kong is leasehold. But, of course, once it's in the hand of the leaseholder that person has property rights over it for the mm -hmm. duration of the lease, which in the new territories is up to 2047. A, a pending issue, incidentally, that is not being discussed. What a Come back to that in a sec. We will come be back great. to that. Um, but the, in the meantime, because of the amazing situation in the new territories and the enormous power of the Heng Yi Cook, the planning department has been forced to do what it does best, which is nothing in these villages where you have access to the, the highways blocked by landholders and the reason that they do that is to hold various people to ransom and they say oh yes yes you can build a road here did I mention that's 10 million bucks or maybe you know whatever sum of money it is so in the meantime you've got a quite dangerous situation in many villages you look at some of the new, not some, you look at many new territories, villages, and you know for a fact that planning is, has gone out the window big time. I mean, the way that houses are built higgledy-piggledy right up next to each other, people who had views lose them overnight, people who thought that there was a piece of common land suddenly discover that some wizened old, wizened old guy, in fact, has been owning it since whenever. So the situation is, is dire. The only reason it remains dire is because the government is so afraid of the people who own much of this land, who in turn are represented by the cook. The cook goes up to the government and says, tell you what, don't do anything. And they go, well, uh, don't do anything. Oh, all right, we won't do anything there. So if in this village, um, which I've heard of being a problem before, incidentally, there is a continual obstruction... I'm afraid to say I'm not surprised. The only way that this can be overcome is by the government showing a bit of backbone. Chances of that? Oh, nil. Yeah, we hear about this story quite a lot. But it's quite scary, actually, it for people It is scary, that live because there. it means that if you're... I mean, you know, the whole point is that emergencies don't occur <laughs> on a daily basis. People don't have to be rushed off to hospital, thank goodness, on a daily basis. But you, you're, you're planning is precisely for the exceptional, not for the commonplace. Mm. Because, you know, you plan for the worst and expect the best. I thought that was kind of known, isn't it? Isn't that something that everybody talks about? So the idea that, that all villages should have free access to the highway doesn't seem to me to be even vaguely remarkable, but it is in Hong Kong. Go back to 2047. Well, that's an interesting one, because under the terms of the... Um, but both of the basic law and of, of the treaty between um, Britain and China, all, all of the land in the new territories is on these leases that 
end in 2047. Right. Now, the common assumption was, oh, that that was a small technicality. Of course, when 2047 arrives, uh, these leases will be extended. And you've heard what about planning for that? Now, I know that 2047 is not around the corner. It's about 20 years away, by my calculations. But the fact of the matter is that it's quite a big issue, and it is staggering, absolutely staggering, that you've heard nothing by way of planning for this. I, I, wonder, mean, I wonder if 2047 across the board is flummoxing people. Let's be absolutely honest. There's no guarantee the communists are still going to run the show in 2047. Well, there's that. None of us have a crystal ball. None of us have a crystal ball. We also, those of us who, who read books, which, you know, they come in those sort of covery things, um, will we'll be able to have read in many books Deng Xiaoping saying... One country, two systems is planned for 50 years, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, it could well go on for longer than that. All of that sort of stuff. And, of course, he was the architect of one country, two systems. All of that stuff is now conveniently forgotten. Mm. So what you're left with, and this is important, is what's actually in the law. And the law is, and you, you never tire of a government official telling you how important the basic law is... Until... ..is that, that all, not... of, all of this, all of this, that means... The majority of people now live in the new territories, incidentally. The majority of people in the new territories have hanging over them, not immediately, but have hanging over them the question of whether the places they live will still be owned. Mm. Well, the good news is I've just remembered to log into my morning per email, so I've got a couple more here for you. Goodness me. Alan, good morning. It's utterly depressing, UK's policy of kowtowing to China. We can forget any hope of enforcement or even mention of the treaties and undertakings made before the handover to protect our rights. To the point. Nice one, Alan. Let's go to another one. Anything to say? Well, Your comments, please? I, I, just, I just want to add something that I didn't add before the break. Go on, then. Which is this remarkable thing. You, you, as, as listeners will know, Siwai Lung doesn't like to spend a lot of time in Hong Kong because he's the chief executive of it, but he, he, he's, he's on drop-by at the moment. But just before Xi Jinping arrived, he was in London, mm. and, and he, he was supposed to... <laughs> He actually said this in public. You cannot, you cannot <laughs> you make this, make this up. up. <laughs> he, he actually said, oh, I'm sorry I was late for this meet. This was a public event. Yeah. He said, but I, I, saw the, I saw the national flag flying in London and I was so overcome by emotion that I had to take a few minutes to stand and admire the achievements of our country. And I'm thinking, boy... <laughs> I'm glad or, you said boy. Or, or, or as they used to say in, in the popular prints, pass the sick bag, Maud. <laughs> Chris, hello. He says, good morning, gentlemen. Regrettably, there are many cases in the new territory villages where the landowners do indeed have the right to close off roads which go over their land. Anyone thinking of living and especially buying property in an NT village must check this aspect very carefully. So Chris reckons some of them do have no, the right. No, he's right. They yeah. do. They do have that right. So... And the reason why they make these obstructions is it, it's sheer blackmail. Well, they yeah. say, you know... It's very obvious we'll when you see up, them. We'll open up the road, but um, give us the money. It's, it's a wonderful system. Instead of, I mean... It's all about fear and bullying again. Yeah, and, and, and of course, everything comes back to, as if we didn't know it, comes back to politics. Why is the Hungry Cook so powerful? First of all, because they've been working at it for quite a long time. Lots of practice. But secondly, because they were the first major political entity in Hong Kong that realised that the best way to um, retain their power was by making sure that their connections up north were, you know, 
gold-plated. Well, that goes back, doesn't it? That does go back. Well, they the loyal... back well before the yeah. handover. So, you know, if there's a problem now, the cook basically says, uh, we've got more, more bigger of friends that than what you've got, upstairs. and we'll make a call. Mm. Now, so you may say that perhaps this is the time for Beijing to call their bluff and say, no, no, we're really interested in the livelihood and welfare of the people of Hong Kong. It, it, I know it's a wild suggestion and, you know, it's irresponsible to make it at uh, this early hour of the day. I know, and but, I won't. but surely it serves their purpose to keep them doing what they do. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I mean, an ally is an ally, so these are very, very firm allies. They can be also called upon to mobilise some of their interesting friends to appear at demonstrations, perhaps with some sticks and some other um, things. So, you know, they're they're, they're quite useful. All right, turn the page. What is the fascination stroke obsession with this new idea of an innovation and technology bureau? Do you know that there's been some hoo-ha in some departments recently about upgrading computer systems because they are still using Internet Explorer? No lie. (laughs) I I, I find it hard to believe that that, that the government is behind the curb in, in new technology, but if you say that's so... It's I'll, an absolute fact, i.e. they might as well be using Net, Net, <laughs> what a, Netscape, that was it. What's the big... Is this basically, he wants well, it, he wants it, and he's going to get well, it. Well, let's, let's remember what the genesis of all of this is. The, the, the government, particularly ever since the handover, actually, has been thinking that it's got to get in on the next big thing. So, Firefox, all, you mean? <laughs> Feel free. I, I tell you, the electric typewriter, they, they, they're really good and they're much better than the manual ones. I'll tell you what, after the news, I'm going to talk to Maurice Mislowski, who's a business futurist. But today is the first day that Back to the Future is now about the past. Yes. So Maurice and I are going to talk about the things they predicted. And you remember the, the, the car that was the centre point of that film. Yeah, and it ran on trash. The, well, the wonderful DeLorean car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where is DeLorean now? Anyway. I always wonder about the future, and I think your best bet with the future is to look at it retrospectively. <laughs> then you can then you can tell how it's going to go. But but just coming back to this IT bureau, this is part of this weird, weird obsession that all three chief executives have had. So you had the first chief executive, uh, Tung Chiwa, saying, "I tell you what, we'll build a um, cyber port." You see the word cyber in there? That's very compelling. And that turned out to be, oh, gosh, what a surprise. Another real estate project with, you know, as much cyber as my left armpit's got inside it. Then you've got little Donny comes along and he says, I tell you what, CY built... Oh, sorry, CY. CH built the, the cyber port, so I'm going to build the science park in Shaotin, at which it now is in phase three or whatever it is. Another building, and, and then they churn out statistics. You know, in the science park, we have 23 and three-quarter industries that are at the cutting edge of technology. Nobody yet has discovered anything that either of these two big building projects have actually produced. Bunsen burner? Bunsen burner. Um, so, you know, I mean, it is true that you've got companies um, who are called high-tech. I, I know that, for example, in Cyberport, um, there was a very high-tech company that used it for packing up goods to send to customers, a very high-tech business. may have been because the rents were so low for any company that had cyber in its name. Mm. In, in the science park, it's true, you've got, you've got various companies that are doing interesting things, but why wouldn't they be doing interesting things anyway? But, I mean... And now you've got C.Y. Leung on his historic mission to Israel. This was part of his... Uh, he was there last week also. Um, 
by the way, he made such an impression in Israel that when I asked a friend who's, who's involved in journalism where whether she'd heard that the chief executive of Hong Kong was in Israel, she said, oh, no, no, don't think I think he went for cooking lessons. He, 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 anyway, whatever impression he didn't make there, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is the reason he went there is he said, oh, Israel's a small country, big technology sector. True, actually. They don't use Internet Explorer, I bet. <laughs> I bet they don't. And one of the reasons Israel's small country, big technology sector is very simple. There's a lot of entrepreneurs doing high-tech stuff. It's not because they've got a hub there. They don't have hubs in places no, like Israel. No, it's a hub. <laughs> it's a hub, yeah. <laughs> Any more than, than Silicon Valley was, was thought up by the government. It wasn't. It grew organically. And one of the reasons it grew organically is because you had a critical mass of brainy people. Mm. In, in the case of Silicon Valley, all clustered around the universities there, yeah. who thought, I tell you what, we can make a bit of money on technology. So in Hong Kong, everything is supposed to be done through the government. And as you but, say, but you've got a government that doesn't even, isn't, is even behind me in its technical knowledge of, of, of the interweb or whatever it's called. Yeah, I, I mean, Innovation and Technology Bureau, I'm curious... To just what, know what, what, what the plan is, what, what, what is, is it supposed well, to do? I mean, I'm not against it per se, that I suppose... You what's know, so bureau, burning that this must that, happen? That this is the absolute must happen. What's so burning is... Perhaps somebody's that, told them about Google Chrome and they're trying to find out how to do it. Is that something new? Oh, Should we know about that? <laughs> Send him off to the government. <laughs> no, but the point is that, that one of the reasons why CY Long is so obsessed by the Technology Bureau is simply because the Democrats blocked its, its establishment. I mean, this is sort of Mickey Mouse politics... Mickey Mouse dot com. 